I want to begin today by asking you a question. As you think about your life and as you think about your future, what are you looking forward to? As you think about next week, next month, next year, 10 years from now, what are you looking forward to? What are you excited about? Well, I asked Adam and Austin, our high school and junior high minister, to ask that question to our students this past Wednesday night in the high school service and in the junior high service. And so they passed out little index cards to all the students. And they gave them a few minutes, and they said, what I want you to do is just write down some of the things that you are excited about. And yesterday afternoon, I read through just a ton of those. All, I read through all of those cards, and I've selected a few today just to kind of give you a feel for what our junior high and high school students are excited about. One says, I'm excited about Christmas, volleyball tournaments, and the fall retreat. Another says, I'm excited about spring break, Thanksgiving break, and Christmas break. Now, there's somebody who really loves school, right? Because another one says, I'm excited about football, the football game and hitting someone. Now, we hope that hitting will happen during the game. Uh, one says, I'm excited about eating Dino nuggets and macaroni and cheese. So I'm looking forward to finishing school, becoming a cop, and getting married college, owning my own house, and beginning my career. Now, we're into the high school now. It's interesting how the desires change. This one says, I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to getting married and having kids, getting married, watching my kids grow up, being a mom. One says, I'm excited about finishing college, getting married, becoming a dentist. Another one says, I'm excited about getting married, being a mom, and going to college. You can see from junior high to high school, it all changes, right? From macaroni and cheese to being a mom. And so it changes. Now, this was probably the best. It says, this one says, I'm excited about going into the ministry, starting a church, and seeing Christ one day. Now, I should probably just have stopped with that one, but I wanted to read this one. This fellow says, I'm excited about getting a truck and leaving this place. And so <laughs> he said, enough is enough. Well, when I read those, I thought, well, that at least gives us some insight into what these students are looking forward to. And so I'm asking you today, as you think about your future, next week, next month, next year, 10 years down the road, what are you looking forward to? Now, certainly, for those of us who are saved, more than anything else, we should be looking forward to that day when we will see Jesus Christ face to face. Amen? I mean, you think about that. We're going to see Jesus. And I, I can barely think about it without getting choked up a little bit. We're going to see his eyes. We're going to see his face. We're going to see his hair. We're going to see his hands that have those nail prints in them. We're going to see Jesus face to face. And there's something about thinking about seeing Jesus that is a very, very comforting thought. But also the Bible says not only are we going to see Jesus and embrace Jesus and talk to Jesus and, and be with him for all eternity, but there's coming a day in our future where we will be judged by Jesus Christ. We are going to stand before Jesus Christ and he is going to judge us. He is going to give us his assessment of our lives. Now, while at least for me, the thought of seeing Jesus is a comforting thought, the thought of being judged by Jesus is a very convicting thought, maybe even a little bit of a frightening thought, because we know the Scripture says that Jesus not only can see us, He can see 
through us. And one day his eyes will look upon everything we've done. And listen to how this one verse says it in the scripture. It says, nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. And so I think about in my future, this coming day, not only am I gonna see Jesus, he's gonna see me. And he's going to evaluate my life and judge me. And everything about me, my motives, you don't know my motives. I may not even know my motives. My attitude, my actions, my responses, my thoughts, everything is going to be laid out into the open. It's going to be laid bare before the Lord. And based on that and based on my life, he will judge me. He will evaluate me. And the same is true for you. And this particular judgment is known as the judgment seat of Christ. Now, if you'll open your Bibles this morning to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, I want us to spend our time this morning thinking about the judgment seat of Christ. And before we get into this, let me say the judgment seat of Christ is not a judgment of sins. We will not be punished for the sins that we have committed. Why not? Because the punishment for our sins was placed on Jesus Christ. When Jesus died on that cross, the Bible says he took all of our sins upon himself. Everything you've ever done wrong, every thought, every action, every word, every deed, every impure motive, he took all that upon himself. And when he died on that cross, he bore the penalty. He paid the price. He took the punishment for all of our sins, and that should make all of us relieved and happy. So with the judgment seat of Christ, we're not going to be judged and punished for our sins. God is a holy God. God would never punish the same sin twice. They've already been punished on Jesus. But at the judgment, nonetheless, our lives will be laid out before the Lord, and if we have been faithful, He will reward us. If in any way we have been unfaithful, he will not punish us, but we will not be rewarded in that way. And so the judgment seat of Christ is a judgment where rewards are either given out or where rewards are withheld. And it is a fascinating thing. Now, I want us to begin in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 10 is our main verse this morning, but I want us to back up to verse number 7 because we're in the neighborhood of such wonderful verses here. I want us to read them as a whole. Beginning in verse 7, for we walk by faith, not by sight. We are confident, yes, well-pleased, rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. What is that verse teaching? It is teaching that when the body dies, the soul doesn't die. When our bodies die, our spirit and our soul goes immediately to heaven to be in the presence of God. The last time that I have shared this with a family was this past Friday. Family in our church had a family member whose mother got COVID back in August. She was hospitalized and in early September she died. As they were thinking about having her funeral and trying to plan her funeral, they wanted to wait until her son, who had also been hospitalized with COVID, could get out of the hospital so he could attend his mother's funeral. So they put the funeral off for a few days, for a couple of weeks, and in the meantime, he died. And so on Friday, first time in my life, I I led, I ministered in, preached a double funeral now, I've done double funerals, husband and wife. I've never done a funeral, in my, to my knowledge now, a mother and her son at the same time. She was 64. He 
was 32. And there sat the family in the chapel. And we're talking about their lives and we're talking about their death. And I quoted this verse, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Both of those were saved. And I said to the family, listen, when your mother died and then when your brother died, the only thing that died was their body, their spirit and their soul in the moment of their their death came out of their body. Now they are absent from the body and they are present with the Lord. But make no mistake about it, your mom's still living. Your brother is still living. They're just living in another place. Now, in verse number nine, Paul said, therefore, we make it our aim, whether present or absent, that is, whether here or there, whether on earth or in heaven, to be well-pleasing to him. Verse 10, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. Again, if we've done good, we'll be rewarded. If we've done bad, we won't be punished. Jesus took the punishment, but we will not be rewarded. The first part of verse 11 tells us the seriousness of this moment. Knowing, therefore, the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. What is Paul saying? He's saying, as we contemplate the seriousness, the somberness of this judgment, we persuade people to prepare themselves now for that which is inevitable, to prepare themselves now for this coming judgment. Now, as we think about the judgment seat of Christ, we certainly have many questions about that. And today in this sermon, I'm not going to try to answer all of the questions because about a year ago, we put together a little booklet, a little resource called The Judgment Seat of Christ, Will You Receive a Crown? And so we put this together and we've got it printed up and it looks really nice. And this morning when you go out, they're on the tables in the commons. I encourage you to get several of these, one for you and for your family and friends. This is a good thing you can give somebody and say, hey, they passed out this booklet at our church this past Sunday and thought you might enjoy it. And on the back, it has our service times. If you don't have a church, well, it doesn't have the times, but it has where we are anyway. You can tell them the time. If you don't have a church where you go to, We'd love to have you worship with us. So I'm not going to try to today in, the, in 30 minutes cover everything that is in this booklet. I want to hit the, hit the highlights and you can, you can read the booklet for yourself. But nonetheless, the judgment seat of Christ is a serious thing where he will evaluate our lives. Now, one of the questions we have is when will this happen? We know it will be in heaven, of course, but when will it happen? There are two schools of thought. Some say it will happen immediately upon our death. In other words, as soon as we die, we're out in eternity, we're standing before the Lord, and in that moment, he will judge us. My response to that is, maybe so. Maybe that is when this judgment will happen. I personally don't think that's the timing of it. In the Scripture, we read that Jesus, it says it this way in the book of Hebrews, he ever lives to make intercession for the saints. And so the image that we have of Jesus Christ right now is that he is in heaven and he is praying to the Father on our behalf. Think about this. If the judgment seat of Christ takes place immediately upon our death, that would mean that for the last 2,000 years, Jesus has been judging Christians who have died and gone to heaven. But the Bible says that he ever lives to make intercession for the saints. Now, I don't question Jesus' ability to do two things at one time, but really and realistically, how could he be praying for us consistently, all the, continually all the time, and at the same time be judging us? I don't think that the judgment seat of Christ happens immediately upon death. 
I think the judgment seat of Christ happens after the rapture of the church, after all of the Christians are now in heaven. Notice again in verse 10, it says, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. All, not each, but all. Now we will each appear, but the word all, it gives the idea here that this is something that we will all experience together. The, the analogy, not a great analogy, but as I try to imagine this in my mind, it's kind of like going to the DPS to get your driver's license renewed. We're all there at the same time. A lot of people are there, but we go through the process individually. And I kind of like to think about that on the judgment seat of Christ. We'll all, it'll all happen at the same time, but we will go through it individually, one at a time. After the rapture, when we're in heaven, tribulations on earth, and before the second coming of Christ, during that seven-year period, because we read in, in the book of Revelation, we studied this as we went through the book of Revelation, that when, when we come back to the earth with Christ, after having been with him in heaven for seven years, he's going to come back on the white horse. Remember, we're on our white horses. He's going to set up a millennial kingdom, a thousand-year reign. We will be with him. And the Bible says that before we leave heaven to come back to earth, we will be given robes, white robes. And those robes are rewards for our lives. And so at the judgment seat of Christ, one of the things we will be given is something to wear, a robe based on how faithfully we have lived our lives. And not only will we receive robes, but we will receive crowns. Now, it's interesting, as we study the Bible, and I, this is very clearly covered in this booklet, and if I wanted to today, I could just easily talk about all these crowns, but in the New Testament, there are five crowns that are mentioned, and my understanding is at the judgment seat of Christ, that is the time we will receive a crown. So, we get a robe, and we'll get a crown. Let me just mention the crowns. We won't look them all up and we won't preach a little mini sermon on each one, but let me just mention the crowns. First of all, there is what is called the imperishable crown or the victor's crown. In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, Paul said, just like an athlete trains and prepares for the Olympics, for the track meet, for the race, for the event, so we as Christians, we are to discipline our bodies and to bring them into subjection because one day we're going to receive a crown just like they do. Paul says this, they receive a perishable crown. Back in Bible times in the ancient world, they would have the Olympic Games or they would have other kind of track meets or races. And even in Corinth, they had what was known as the Isthmian Games, and they would have their races, and they would have their winners. And at the end of the race, the winners would come to what was known as the Bema, B-E-M-A. If you've been to ancient Corinth, you have been to the Bema. It was an elevated platform, kind of like what I'm standing on today. And the, the athletes would come and appear before this platform, and they would receive a crown, a wreath, really, of some kind. It was, they could put it on their head, they could wear it around their neck, but it was made of flowers, it was made of leaves, and in time, that would obviously perish. It wouldn't last. Paul's using this same word, the bema. In the, in the ancient world, the bema was a place where rewards were given out to winning athletes. And Paul said, these athletes are receiving perishable crowns, but we are receiving an imperishable crown. And so that this particular crown, the victor's crown, goes to the person who has been disciplined in their life when it comes to spiritual things. 
disciplined when it comes to spiritual things, disciplined in their prayer life, disciplined in their study of God's Word, disciplined in how they respond to temptation, disciplined in how they treat other people. They have tried to be disciplined. They've taken their spiritual life seriously. And Paul says, one of these days, if you've done that, not not perfectly, none of us is perfect, but if you've done that, one of these days, you're going to receive an imperishable crown, a victor's crown. The second crown mentioned in the New Testament is called the crown of rejoicing. Sometimes it's called the soul winner's crown. This is the crown that people will receive if they have endeavored in their lives to lead other people to Jesus Christ. We have all known soul winners people who have been passionate and serious about sharing their faith with others. And the Bible says if you're one of those, one of these days you're going to receive the crown of rejoicing. You're going to receive the soul winner's crown. And then there's the crown of righteousness. We read about this in 2 Timothy chapter 4. The crown of righteousness is a special crown that is laid up in heaven for those who have longed for, looked forward to, and anticipated the second coming of Jesus Christ, the return, the appearing of Jesus Christ. We would say the rapture of the church. And so if you ever find yourself driving down the road, thinking to yourself, could this be the day that Jesus comes? Could this be the day that the skies parted? Could this be the day that the trumpet sounds? Could this be the day that I see Jesus face to face? If you have had and do have that desire in your heart, that anticipation in your heart to see Jesus, God is so touched by that desire that one day he's going to give you a crown, not for doing anything, but just for desiring something, for desiring to see Jesus face to face. It's the crown of righteousness. And then we read in James about the crown of life. The crown of life is a special crown that is given to people and will be given to people who have endured great hardship in life. They have been through the fire. They've been through the flood. They've been tested in their faith. They've walked through the deep waters, and through it all, they have remained faithful to God during the testing. Some of you are in that time right now. You're going through a test, a trial, a difficulty in your life, and yet more than anything else, you want to pass the test. More than anything else, you want to be faithful. More than anything else, you don't want to give up and quit because remember, at the end, if we have been faithful and not given up, Jesus is going to say to us, well done. Well, in order for us to hear well done, we have to finish. And so for those who've been faithful to the end, the crown of life will be. And then the fifth crown is called the crown of glory. Read about it in 1 Peter chapter 5. It is a crown that is given to those who have faithfully shepherded and cared for those under their responsibility. Certainly this is in that context applying to pastors and church leaders, but it shouldn't be limited to that group. If you are a Sunday school teacher, a connection group leader, those in that class are are your sheep and you are their shepherd. And if you have tried to be a faithful shepherd to lead those sheep towards God and on the right path in life, God has a crown laid up for you. You say, well, John, I don't preach and I don't teach. Well, do you have kids? Do you have a family? Do you have grandchildren? There is a sense in which they are your sheep and you are the shepherd. And if you have been faithful trying to positively influence them for God, God has a crown laid up for you. Now, we know that 
after we receive these crowns, we learn this, and we probably already knew it, but in our study of Revelation, we learn that after we receive those crowns, we're going to take those crowns and lay them at Jesus' feet. We're not going to strut around for eternity bragging on our crowns. Say, well, I got three. You just got one. What was wrong with you down there? You weren't doing so good. No, we're going to take our crowns, and we're going to cast them at Jesus' feet as an act of worship. And so that is really our motive so that we can have something to get for Jesus. Now, when it comes to the crowns, I would encourage you, and I put, I put this sentence in the booklet, but I would encourage you, don't spend your life pursuing the crowns. Spend your life pursuing the Lord. And if you pursue the Lord, you'll be doing the things that put you in a position to receive the crowns, and then you in turn can give those crowns back to Jesus as an act of worship. Now, you still with me so far? Say amen. So that's the judgment seat of Christ, and that's what will happen there. We'll be rewarded if we have been faithful, and we won't be rewarded if we haven't. Now, the reason I said this is frightening and convicting, because one of the things that we'll be, re- we'll be judged by is our motives. Why have we done what we've done? Has it been to make a name for ourselves or to impress somebody, or has it been to honor the Lord and to serve the Lord? Well, it's a, we have to think about that and, 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 you know, search our own hearts and ask God to search our hearts and to know. But I, let me say this about the judgment seat of Christ, because none of us is perfect. Our motives are never as pure as they ought to be. And our actions are never, you know, exactly what they ought to be. But remember this, even at the judgment seat of Christ, Jesus will still be Jesus And by that I mean, yes, he will judge with righteousness, but he will also judge with grace and mercy. Jesus will still be Jesus. And Jesus at this judgment is not looking for perfection, but what Jesus is looking for as he looks in our heart, he is looking to see, was our heart bent toward him? Was our life lived for him? Or was it lived for ourselves or for some lesser purpose? Now, as I thought about this, and I'll be honest with you, this sermon, I always look forward to preaching. And most of the time, as I get closer to the Sunday, I get more excited about the preaching. But I have to be honest with you. Yesterday, which is normally a day to finish the sermon, and I'm just excited about it, but all day, in fact, when I went to bed Friday night, I had like a burden on me about this sermon. And all day yesterday, I was going through the day, and I thought, now, God, I've written a book. I know what to say. But I just had this burden on me about this sermon. It was like a cloud that was on me, and I just couldn't, I couldn't enjoy the day. I couldn't get into the day. There were good games on you. I tried to watch a game. I couldn't get, I couldn't get into the game. It was like a heavy burden. And all day, I'm trying to figure out, why am I feeling this weight, this pressure, this burden, this heaviness on me about this sermon? And a scripture came to my mind that may in part answer that question. Hebrews chapter 13, I believe verse 18, talks about that one of the responsibilities of a minister, of a preacher in a local church setting, is to prepare the people to see God, to meet God. And so today, I'm, even now, I am feeling the weight and the responsibility to say, one of these days, you're going to stand before Jesus at this judgment, and one of the things I'm going to be judged for is how well I prepared you for that day. 
When you get in that line and you, maybe there are 3,000 people in front of you, but you, they're moving on and you're getting closer, I want you to be thinking as you're getting closer. Now, wait a second. We talked about this. John put us together a booklet on this. We've preached, we've studied this. We've learned about this. We were prepared for this. Others here may not know what in the world is going on, but I was taught and I was prepared and I was challenged to live my life in such a way so that the judgment seat of Christ, that I would fare well, that I would hear well done, that I would make God proud, that I would make Jesus pleased, and that on that great day, I would farewell at the judgment. And so I've thought about all day yesterday. I thought, God, what can I say at the end? How can I wrap this up so that we can spend what time we have left on earth preparing ourselves for this judgment? And that was my burden all day yesterday. And late in the day, I, I wish you could see my notes. It says, how can we be prepared for the judgment seat of Christ? And I've got one sentence I believe it's from God that I think answers that question. How can we be prepared? Listen to this. Prioritize now what you will be judged by then. Prioritize now what you'll be judged by then. See, we think about the judgment seat of Christ. We think, hey, this could be, you know, I may live 50 more years, so at the absolute earliest, it's 50 years away, and then you're telling me that it's not even going to be to the rapture of the church. The, the rapture of the church could still be hundreds of years off. It could be thousands of years off. Now, it could be quicker. I think it will, but it could be a long way off. So I know it's easy for us to say, man, I've got family responsibilities, John, we're having work issues, financial, hell, got all these things going on. I know this is a big deal. I know it's out there in my future but it's so far out there, I just don't see how it has a whole lot to do with my life right now. Well, the devil would have you think like that. Because if you think like that now, you won't be, listen again, this is the best thing in the whole sermon. Prioritize now what you will be judged by then. It's kind of like buying a generator. Now here we have a beautiful Sunday day, a fall day. Is there anybody, never had a prettier weather, is there anybody here today who would say, you know what I want to do this afternoon? I want to go out and spend several thousand dollars on a generator so when we have another storm, I'll be ready. Well, no, who's even thinking about that now? But let me ask you this, a couple of weeks ago, those of you who lost power for a little time, do you wish you would have had a generator? How about last February? We all lost power for days. House, 45 or 50 degrees, pipes busting, can't see anything. Do you wish you would have had a generator then? I do. I didn't have one. I wish I would have had a generator at that time. But who on a day like this gets excited about buying a generator? I mean, why do we, why would, well, let's put that money towards a truck or let's buy something else, but not a generator. But when the storm comes in, and when the temperatures bottom out, and when the trees fall on the power lines, and there you are in your house for three days, no light, no heat, no electricity. Man, I wish I'd have bought it. That, that's the image of the judgment seat of Christ. No, we're not there today. It's not happening now. But brother, it's in our future. And what I'm saying to you for the third time, that we should prioritize now what we will be judged by then. Now, I wanna mention, or I wanna give three questions that I think will help us to prioritize now, or at least to give some self-analysis and to see, are we 
setting ourselves up to do well at this judgment, not so we can run around and tell each other we did well, because that's not the spirit of this at all. There's, there's no humility in that, but so that we can then give these crowns to Jesus as an act of worship. Three questions. I can't develop them. Time has got me, but let me ask you three questions. Number one, is Jesus Christ the most important thing in your life? Not just the most important person, but is Jesus Christ the most important thing in your life? Now, you know whether the answer to that is yes or true, yes or no, but I'm asking, is Jesus the most important thing in your life? Question number two, do you treat other people better than you treat yourself? Do you? Philippians chapter four, 2 and verse 4 says that we should consider others better than ourselves. That is not that we uh, think less of ourselves, but that we think of ourselves less and that we think of others more. You see, if I'm in my life, just take me, if Jesus is the most important thing in my life and if I treat others better than myself, well, then I, I should do well at this judgment because if Jesus is the most important thing in my life, that means I'm gonna live a disciplined life spiritually, right? That means I should get the imperishable, the victor's crown. If I think of others as more important than myself, I'm gonna share my faith with them and, so, and same with you. And so do we think of others as better than ourselves? And question number three, and this is a, this is a thought-provoking question. Question number three, is there anything you're trying to hide from God? Is there anything that you are trying to hide from God? Because if there is, and by, we say, what, am I, what would I try to hide from God? Well, you might try to hide a sin from God. You might try to hide an attitude from God. You might try to hide thoughts from God. Sometimes we try to hide things from God. Friend, let me remind you today, you can't hide anything from the one who sees everything. I mean, everything we do, everything we think is open and laid bare before the Lord. All of that's coming out at the judgment. I'm asking you today, is there anything you're trying to hide from God? Remember this, anything in your life that you try to cover, one of these days, God will uncover it. But anything in your life that you uncover now, one of these days, God will We'll cover that. God will cover it now with the blood of Jesus Christ. If we confess our sins, he'll forgive us of our sins. But if we try to cover our sins up, one day God's going to uncover it. But if we'll uncover it now, God will cover it and cleanse it and forgive us, and we will be okay. So those are the questions. Again, is Jesus Christ the most important thing in your life? What's more important, you or other people? And number three, is there anything that you're trying to hide from God? You know, there's an interesting verse. I came across this a few weeks ago in my, one of my devotional books. I never had noticed this verse. You're in 2 Corinthians 5. Go back to chapter 4 and uh, look at verse number 2, just the first part of uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 2. Paul says this, but we have renounced the hidden things of shame. We have renounced the hidden things of shame. I'm asking you today, do you have any hidden things in your life? things that you would be humiliated and embarrassed to no end by if, we, if somehow those things could be put on those screens today and played for the whole congregation. You say, oh my goodness, I would never want that to happen. Well, God knows. And Paul said, we have renounced the hidden things of shame. Here, here's how I want to wrap this up today. If you're saved, and I know most of us here are saved, but if you're saved as you think about the judgment seat of Christ, if there's anything in your life 
that you are trying to hide from God. The Scripture says to us what we should do is renounce that. Uncover that. Let God cover that. And don't, don't let that have any part of your life. Now, I say most of us here today are saved. I think that's a true statement. I know that's a true statement. But I also know this. There are people here today who aren't saved. And I say that because every Sunday we see people get saved. And I don't think God would have called us to preach about how to be saved if everybody was already saved. I know this sermon's not been on a salvation sermon, but nonetheless, in every sermon, we give people an opportunity to be saved. And in the last few weeks and months, we've seen great numbers of people to be saved. Let me ask you this question. For those of you today who say, I don't know if I'm saved or unsaved as I think about my future, let me just ask it this way. Remember, the judgment seat of Christ is a judgment for Christians. There's another judgment for non-Christians, for unbelievers, for the unsaved. It's known as the great white throne judgment. We dealt with it. The great white throne judgment, unsaved people from all ages will one day stand before God. They will be judged and punished for how they live their lives. Their punishment will involve going to hell and paying for their own sins because they rejected and refused Jesus Christ who had willingly paid for their sins. But since they rejected him, Their sins are unpaid for. Their sins never have been punished. And so now the punishment for their sins falls on them. Here's the question. This is a good question for all of us. As you think about your future, which judgment are you heading to? The judgment seat of Christ for saved people. The great white throne judgment for unsaved people. And today, if you say, you know, John, to be honest with you, I've never been saved. I believe in God, I respect God, I'm in church today is is, is evidence of that, but I've never truly been saved or I'm not sure that I've been saved. What you need to do today is you need to change lanes and you need to get headed into another judgment, the judgment seat of Christ. Wouldn't it be wonderful today as God through his word is preparing those of us who are already saved for the judgment seat of Christ, if in the midst of that sermon, the Holy Spirit convicted people who are not saved, who are currently headed to the great white throne judgment, and they changed lanes today and got saved and joined us and began heading to the judgment seat of Christ. Wouldn't that be? I'm telling you, God can do two things at one time. He can prepare us for one judgment, and he can help other people get headed to the right one.